Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, you know what kind of summer I think it's going to be? What kind? Okay, so I don't think it's going to be white boy summer. And I don't think it's going to be hot girl summer because people are still kind of like traumatized. I think it's going to be biker shorts summer. Biker shorts summer? I can get on board with that. Biker shorts are a wonderful article of clothing. Like I'm wearing biker shorts right now and I'm like, this is delightful. They're, they're, they're not too short. They give your legs a little hug. It, they come in all kinds of fun patterns. I mean, the only, the only fundamental, like, the only things you have to like your knees, I guess, to get on board with the biker short trend. Yes, but here's the thing. If enough people are wearing biker shorts and there's enough of a diversity of knees, you kind of, like, lose your self-consciousness about your own. I guess it's you know? true. It's just be brave, be bold, wear biker shorts. Who cares? But you're the only person that cares about your own knees is you. It's true. It's true. Thank you for telling. I'll remind myself of that as someone who was like, I don't know, are my knees okay enough for biker shorts? They're fine. Wear biker <laughs> shorts. You'll be delighted. <laughs> This week, we are joined by Senator Maisie Hirono, Kieran Deal, and Priyanka Arabindi to tackle the following questions. Should more Republicans fear the revenge of Liz Cheney? Will Democrats pass infrastructure all on their own? Why do we love drama as long as it involves other people? And which host was at the center of a high school academic standoff? All this and more right now. And... Welcome back. Some news has happened. Always does. Again. Keeps happening. On Wednesdays. Um, on Wednesdays. But this time the news had the good sense to happen before we started recording. Um, so let's talk about Liz Cheney. Alyssa, do we feel sorry for Liz Cheney? I don't think Liz Cheney even wants us to feel sorry for her, right? I mean, she burned the place down. Look, Liz Cheney had two choices, right? 
she could have capitulated and been like, oh, fine, I don't have to say the big lie is true, but I don't have to say the big lie is a lie or whatever the actual logical expression of that would be. And she was like, no, fuck it. Guess what? This is the truth. Here is the truth. The truth is the election wasn't fucking rigged. The election was fair and free. And if we're not on board with a free and fair election, what the fuck are we talking about? It means then that we are at war with the Constitution. And so I don't think we have to feel sorry for her because I think she did exactly what the fuck she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what you can do when you're a billionaire scion of a war criminal family right? You can, it's, it gives you some freedom. <laughs> yes. Right. You don't, I mean, she can, if she does, if, if she is feeling sad, she can dry her tears with her money. Um, but I don't feel like she's somebody who wants us to feel sorry for her. Um, no. one thing, one thing that stuck out to me, first of all, two a few things stuck out to me, but one stuck out, one thing that stuck out was that she gave a speech on the floor of the house on Tuesday night. So she got in uh, on the A blocks of some of the primetime <laughs> Tuesday night opinion shows, which is a canny move, like very smart because then she gets a whole, she got a whole night of headlines. She got totally. a, whole, a whole morning of like morning podcast headlines. Before. Not just headlines, laudatory. Like look yeah. at her, look at her go. Yeah. And like the thing is, she's not like, I'm not a dupe. You're not a dupe. Neither of us are like just brimming with bullshit professional pundits like we we both kind of see what's going on here Liz Cheney isn't a hero but she's something she's something she's something she's, she's not a pussy she's yes she she's is not, not complicit she's not complicit in this particular one bad correct thing. correct she, which is a pretty big bad thing that, yes that she is the utter outlier on right mm -hmm. Because Adam Kinzinger, Adam Kinzinger. Yes, correct, other. correct. Yeah. That is true. We can't leave him him out because he was actually outspoken about all this bad shit way before she ever was, you mm -hmm. know. But it is it is interesting because there she was, Liz Cheney, Dick Cheney's spawn mm -hmm. on the House floor, and all those little bitch GOP House Republicans walked out one by one as if they thought in their heads. It was the same thing as when all the football players went into the coach in the movie Rudy and were like, this one's for Rudy and put their put their their jerseys down. They thought they were doing that, but like in reverse and it like wasn't even close. Yeah, it's, yeah, here's the thing. You know that really famous, well-used gif of the basketball player shooting a long three holding his follow through and turning around before he sees that it bricks yeah. off the backboard. Yeah. That's what I feel like Republicans are doing right now. Okay. So Liz Cheney is making this, these, this speech. I will do everything in my power to make sure that Donald Trump never returns to the white house. Um, and that, you know, meanwhile, we have Republicans tweeting mission accomplished banners. We have <laughs> Madison Cawthorn typing out. Nah, 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 nah. What hey, does that hey, even hey, mean? Hey, goodbye. Oh, no, 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 right, hey, right, right. But like seeing it, it's like that's the thing you say, Madison. You don't type it. It looks weird. It looks but weird. It looks very weird. But all of these Republicans kind of showboating. And it's like you do realize that an incredibly powerful figure from an incredibly powerful family just basically offered to take any future candidacy of a Trump out duck hunting with her, so <laughs> to speak. Um, that if, if it were me, 
look, I don't like Liz Cheney. I don't like the Cheney family. I think they are bad. If I were a Republican, would I consider it strategically a good idea to fuck with them? No, absolutely not. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. She has so much more power and so much more money and so many more connections than Donald Trump. Deep connections, generational connections. Like, I mean, do you think they're missing the point that her dad started a war on a lie? Like, do they th- are they do they think they are playing here with someone who isn't smarter than them? Yeah, Liz Cheney, I believe for everything that she has done poorly in the past, from rejecting her gay sister to being generally on the total wrong side of almost every issue. uh, Liz Cheney is not stupid. She is not stupid. And I, I, you know, I'm interested. I love revenge. I love watching a good revenge. Totally. I'm interested in seeing this revenge. I'm interested in seeing the revenge too. And also it's like all those numbnuts who walked out of the house chamber last night forgot that Donald Trump has a lot less money than Liz Cheney. Yes. (laughs) Like so much less. It's almost, I, I kind of have been thinking about this a lot. It's like, what is in it for them to continue to kiss his ass? Like, and I feel like it couldn't possibly be money. It's like a short-term rush of instant gratification. Like the same neurons that light up when you send a tweet that like a lot yes. of people like right away, where it's like, wait a minute, I just spent you know 10 minutes editing a tweet that I could have been doing something else way more valuable. But this immediate rush of like, oh, people are it's noticing- endorphins, baby. Right, it's like, you know, in that experiment with the rats, where they had um, they put rats in a cage and what they had a, two buttons and one of the buttons gave them food and one of the right. buttons gave them cocaine and the rats just kept hitting the cocaine button until they who, died. Who wouldn't? <laughs> I mean, yes, cocaine is a very <laughs> addictive drug and it also makes you not hungry. But like <laughs> they that's I feel like that's what Republicans are doing with Donald Trump. They're just bashing that cocaine button over and over again instead of just being like, wait a minute, I should eat. Wait, Aaron, that may be the single best distillation of Trumpism ever that anyone's ever made. All those pundits on TV should give their money back because you just did it. I just, all I ask is that they donate it to organizations that A, preserve uh, endangered species um, and B, promote education and multiculturalism. That's there, all I ask. There I don't you know. I will be watching. I will be watching. Okay, good. Give, give me the money, but the, and then I will funnel it to, to <laughs> organizations that deserve it. Um, Speaking of organizations that don't deserve money, uh, the NRA. You want to talk a little bit about the NRA? Well, Erin, they're having a very bad, very sad week. They are. And I kind of wanted to wrap this conversation in a toast to Shannon Watts of of Moms Demand Action. I want to toast Shannon Watts. Um, She must be having the best week. Speaking of rush of endorphins, um, she must be having just the best week. Um, the a federal judge just this week rejected the NRA's bid to declare bankruptcy um, and reestablish itself in Texas. Uh, that's also a victory for our, our friend, Tish James. Uh, She's not really our friend, but she is in my imagination. She kind like. of is, especially now that Cuomo's like, Tish James, I don't even know her. <laughs> oh, yes. This, <laughs> Tish James has like, and I mean this in, an, in a non-gendered way, giant brass balls. Uh, Tish James is not afraid of anybody. 
Um, so basically, Tish James was successful. The NRA can no longer declare bankruptcy. It's a huge setback for the NRA. It means they just spent millions and millions of dollars on a failed legal battle, and that battle is going to continue on. Um, not great. Uh, Alyssa, how are you feeling about this? Delicious. I think it's delicious. I love it. Because you know what this means, Aaron? If they can't declare bankruptcy, it means that as they go forward, they are going to have to answer. Like, to me, being able to declare bankruptcy is like new broom sweeps clean, right? It's like, oh, well, we're bankrupt. Now we move on and we start over. And it's like, no, now they're going to have to answer for all those fucking suits that they bought that lunatic boss of theirs, LaPierre. I refuse to say his name properly. <laughs> and the mansions and the yachts and the trips. And like at some point, Aaron, at some point back, do you remember you – you and I, I'm enough, I'm older enough. What the fuck am I trying to say? I am <laughs> just older than you to remember when Tom Brokaw used to have this, this uh, segment on the nightly news called the fleecing of America. And at some point, Aaron, the people who contribute to the NRA and the people who got scammed by Donald Trump and went to make a donation and then just kept giving and haven't gotten their money back are going right. to realize they're being fleeced by some very bad people. And maybe at some point they'll wake up and be like, mm, am I wrong? Am I doing yeah. the wrong things? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on there because on one hand, when someone is telling you everything that you want to hear and presenting a version of the world that either fits perfectly into your fears or your dreams or some combination of both, and you really, really want to believe that's real, and then you give them money, on top of that, you want to believe that you are not a dupe. Totally. So you have like these two very strong like psychological pulls. Like you, you want it to be true and you don't want to be stupid. And like, it's, it just takes a really long time for people to be like, wait a minute, something seems off here. Here's the thing though. Look, Wayne LaPierre and other grifter types, like half of Donald Trump's cabinet, remember the guy- More than, who, more than half. Oh, like most of them. Most. Like, remember remember uh, HHS Secretary Price, who's like <laughs> fly, flying around visiting his son? It's just like, they were all just like total, total grifters. And despite all of this, funneling of money that should be used for other things for their own personal enrichment. They still look like crap, aren't introducing any beauty or interesting things into the world. If I were giving money to an organization and the head of the organization was using that money to like look really fucking fly all the time, I would be like, okay, I am a little mad you took my money. But at least you are completely dominating the Met Gala red carpet. <laughs> you know, at least I have these pictures. With Wayne LaPierre, we just have these like secret suits that he never wore in public, but he bought with people's money anyway. I mean, the man looked ill-fitting from day one. And if I were paying, if that were my money that I had given, if I had given like my $25, which was money I didn't even really have to give, but I'm so upset someone might take my gun someday because Wayne LaPierre is telling me they're going to take my gun. And then I just saw that he had some jankety suit that looked like, I mean, I agree with you. Like it, he didn't even do good things with the money. <laughs> right. Spend it on something cool, man. Like it's just something, they always just spend it on gun Buy a cool gun. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not only guns are even that cool. Um, <laughs> Buy a cool gun that like has a safety feature and required a background check before you purchased it. Yeah, or you that could would use be a, 
or had digital thumbprint technology so that you could you you couldn't little kids couldn't just un unlock gun. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we've got a long way to come with guns, but for now, it's really fun to watch the NRA kind of crash and burn. We're almost out of time because we have to talk to one of our favorites, Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. But before we go, I want to talk about um, this headline on Vice <laughs> News this week. Um, it it felt it filled me with a feeling that doesn't have a name. You know, like Schadenfreude is a specific like shame joy. It's like shame at the or joy at the shameful feeling of watching other people experience misfortune. Um, this is an unnamed feeling. Uh, <laughs> the headline is anti-maskers ready to start masking to protect themselves from the vaccines. <laughs> so here's the thing. When you texted this to me, I was like, oh yeah, I heard about this because up here I have a friend whose neighbors uh, were like, oh, we want to see you. Have you been vaccinated? And she was like, we have. We are double vaxxed. We're good to go. They were like, oh. And she's like, what? They're like, well, you're still technically like contagious, so we can't be around you. And she was so confused. And they meant contagious from her vaccination. The they, they couldn't be near her because it would change their DNA, which I <laughs> thought was just something that was hyperbole I saw on the news. No, it is true. She got it from Facebook and she won't be around them. And now they're kind of like, well, we're not going to be around you because you are dumb. <laughs> so we're not going to be friends anymore. It's okay. Oh my God. That's, I, there's one in the wild. You it's found one in the wild. Found one in the wild and I couldn't believe it. And it, that's her whole thing now. These people never wanted to wear masks and now they're like, oh, we can't catch it from you. So okay. we wear masks. Where are these people in our fight to punish and rein in environmental polluters? Do you know how much more dangerous the chemicals are that are being dumped into our air and water? Aaron, like, why are you being logical? I'm, I feel like, the, you know, the thing is, I, I hear people being like, I'm worried that my DNA is going to get fucked up from this foreign thing. It's like, okay, you're halfway right. Your DNA <laughs> will get fucked up with foreign things, but this isn't the thing. It's all this other stuff. Oh it's, my God. It is. It is more like here's the thing i think that you and i are both very reasonable people and we can see things we disagree with and be like look i see their point i don't agree with it this is something that when people talk about it you're like no dude come on you're dumb like this is i yeah. don't use the word lightly but like yeah. catch a vaccine and i guess this is the only vaccine i mean it's like it's not even worth going down the rabbit hole of trying to dissect but it is uh it is it is terrifying. We need to pay science teachers a lot more money and we need a lot more of them. And we need to have like continuing adult science education. So people have a basic understanding that MRNA cannot jump through the air. And in it's <laughs> like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's not the this chicken is pox. Look, we are a country full of people who are just not men of science. And it's really <laughs> showing. It is really showing. But look, if honestly, if this is what gets them to wear masks, they're not vaccinated, they're wearing masks, good. I feel like we should maybe, as people, so if you're right wing and listening to this, I don't know why you would be, but if you are, please cover your ears because I'm about to, to talk about a scheme with Alyssa. We should just make up lies like this all the time to get them to do what we want. Like, we could just start a Facebook account oh, and yeah. be like, did you know? 
that Donald like, Trump says. If you wear a mask, you will not catch the vaccine from all the people that got the vaccine. Which will mutate your DNA, like something that could only happen in a movie like The Matrix. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to see a lot of Don't Tread on Me masks this summer, and it's going to be hilarious. I'll be wearing my biker shorts. Cannot wait. Okay, (laughs) let's take a quick break. When we come back, we have Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirona. Oh, hi there. Oh, that is a really nice... What is that, wallpaper? It is... (laughs) I, okay, so I record in what's known as my junk room. It's like the room where just everything we don't know where it goes goes. And so this is just like a dressing screen that I ordered. Oh, it's from really online. lovely. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's a Van Gogh print. Or a, you know, yes, it's like that's what fake. it looks like. Yeah, so it's uh, I get compliments on it all the time. And every week, Senator Gillibrand said the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like Van Gogh. Yes. Yeah, wow. It's, that, it's great. Oh, yes, it's lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah. I like your background too. Um, did you make that paper in the background? Uh, no, these are art quilts. Oh, okay. Cool. I thought for some reason I thought it was paper. They're beautiful. Nope. <laughs> Real quilting artists made these. Oh my goodness. <laughs> some of whom have contacted me saying, hey, that's my quilt because I've gotten them at shows. Really? I get these, yes. You go to quilting shows and like- Well, I love quilts. I like anything artisanal, but I really like quilts. And uh-huh. so I've, I've, I- and especially for my DC apartment, because like, how the heck am I going to send all these paintings? So my house <laughs> in Hawaii, I have uh-huh. a lot of paintings. But here uh-huh. I decided, because I always have to have art around me. And I decided to you know, buy quilts, which I really like. Oh my gosh. There's, I can see the <laughs> stitching now behind you. That's this cool. one is fantastic. The stitching is like tiny, tiny stitching all over. Oh, so, it's beautiful. Um, Okay, let's get started. I don't want to take too much of your time. Today, we are welcoming back a returning hysteria favorite. She's a woman of many talents, the junior senator from Hawaii, a member of the Judiciary Committee. She makes her own paper, and now she's an Mm -hmm. author. Her new memoir, Heart of Fire, An Immigrant Daughter's Story, is available now. Welcome, Senator Maisie Hirono. Hello. (laughs) It's Really great to have you. I think you're the elected official who has been on the show the most. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, the I feel honored. Thank you. <laughs> I love talking to you all. <laughs> oh, likewise. Um, so you've had a few recent victories. First mm-hmm. of all, you and Senator Duckworth successfully advocated for the Biden administration to appoint an AAPI representative to mm-hmm. a senior level position. Second, mm-hmm. your anti-hate crime bill passed the Senate almost unanimously. Congratulations on both of those things. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, as I said at one point, miracles do happen. But and, and then nonetheless, when the need is there, even the Republicans can come forward and vote for a bill. <laughs> right. Uh, well, the passage of the bill marked a moment of bipartisanship in the Senate, which yes. is weird uh, in a time when bipartisanship has almost become an impossible dream. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think or why do you think the Senate came together on this issue? Well, Everyone knew that uh, there's been a dramatic increase in hate crimes targeting Asian American Pacific Islanders. And we just saw all of the, the, the 
images on the news of people being beaten up and other people standing by doing nothing. These are horrific images. And so Chuck Schumer wanted to bring my bill, COVID-19 hate crimes bill, to the floor and a fast track. And so as the bill was uh, being readied for debate and uh, discussion on the on the floor, different people began to think about it. And, and I worked closely with Susan Collins, who had some concerns, and I, I addressed her concerns, and we were able to broaden the support for the bill while retaining the purpose. But uh, certain Republicans filed some 20 amendments to uh, do in the bill, basically to undo the bill and, and all of that. And uh, we negotiated down to three amendments, um, and you know, all of the amendments were defeated. Even the people who submitted the amendments ended up, i.e. Ted Cruz, <laughs> ended <laughs> up voting for the bill. And there was only one no vote against, against it. And we won't talk about him very much. Okay, no well, I, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, what, what, is the, what is a person who votes against a hate crime bill? What is their problem? Like, what, what do you think was going on there? I don't spend a lot of time trying to figure it out, but I think he <laughs> he wants to be the um, not notorious or I don't know notoriety. But what I've said is that you know what uh, he obviously doesn't stand with the AAPI community at a time when we all should be standing up to these kinds of totally unprovoked vicious attacks on a group of people. Mm -hmm. Senator, as Aaron just said, aside from your bill and Senator Gillibrand's Military Justice Improvement Act, there is really no meaningful bipartisanship in the Senate. And also, mm -hmm. very notably, disagreements on important issues within our own party, which we're seeing play out with the infrastructure bill. What components of the current version of the bill do you think are absolutely vital to American families? In terms of the infrastructure bill? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Joe Biden wouldn't have... Uh, proposed the infrastructure bill as well as the American Family Bill uh, without understanding that these are necessary bills. We all know that there are trillions of dollars in infrastructure throughout our country that have gone unmet. Every state has the bridges and you know, things that are falling down. And so it's been an ongoing issue. Even Trump wanted to address infrastructure in, in the, the bizarre way that he usually does things. So nothing happened there. And then as for the uh, family, American family plan, uh, issues such as, as uh, family paid family leave, uh, child care, these have been also uh, issues that we've been debating for years and the need has been uh, shown for years. And so now as Joe Biden tries and the rest of us, the Democrats, try to get the economy back on track and enable women in particular to get back to work, these are really important parts of the proposals of the plan to get our economy back on track and get back to some level of economic and social normalcy. So I, I, I'm not going to sit here and parse out those parts of the bill that should that that we have to, you know, we're going to excise. We're still at the point where we would like all of that to happen. And even parts of it, I, I'm not hearing the Republicans talk about uh, any significant infrastructure measure they came up with something like a $600 billion plan as opposed to almost $3 trillion, trillion plan. The gap is very wide. Uh, and so um, I'm not quite sure how uh, we're going to be able to accomplish this in a bipartisan way. Uh, and, and so we're going to, I would say, need to look at other processes to get mm -hmm. this done. There may be some room for 
some some negotiations, such as if we, how we're going to pay for all this infrastructure and the uh, tax rate. Um, is an area tax rates for corporations so that they actually pay their fair share of taxes. That may be uh, an area where we can have some negotiations. But I would say that, that the vast majority of the proposals in the infrastructure plan, as well as the American Family Plan, um, there's a, a huge gulf between mm -hmm. where the Democrats are and where the Republicans are. Mm -hmm. Speaking of uh, Democrats, there's not total unity across the entire caucus of Democrats. The White House is said to be hosting Senator Sinema to discuss the American Jobs Act this week. Intellectually, we know that Democrats need both Sinema and Senator Joe Manchin in the caucus for Schumer to yes. retain majority leader and be able to get things done. But mm -hmm. how are we supposed to not be thrown into spirals of anxiety over the fact that members of the Democratic Party might derail so much of the president's agenda before the midterms? Do you think Biden can figure out a way to get Sinema and Manchin to join the rest of the caucus? I hope so. <laughs> That's all I can say at the moment, because let's face it, with a 50-50 split Senate, any Democratic senator can uh, throw a wrench into the works. And and so uh, my hope is that, that Joe and Kirsten realize that uh, the people in our country need help, families need help, small businesses, and that uh, while there may be some areas for uh, compromising that uh, the bottom line is that we ought to be together doing this. So let us hope that Joe Biden can work his magic. An infrastructure of child care in this country is a life-changing proposal that can affect the trajectory of generations of families, particularly women and their ability to work outside of the home. In mm -hmm. your memoir, Heart of Fire, you discuss your experience being raised by a single immigrant mother in the United States. How has that experience informed your fight for the women, families, and immigrants in Congress? When we first arrived from Japan, and my mother as a single a parent working several jobs just to uh, roof over our head and food on the table, we didn't even know about such things as a safety net, by the way. And, and so the, I, I don't think anybody talked to us that you can, you know, maybe there's some help out there. We just struggled. And therefore, I know the importance of these kinds of programs that will enable a, a person to, you know, generally it's a woman, to go out and, and work. And in my own family, because we have, we could, certainly couldn't afford childcare. In fact, the thought didn't even enter my mother's head. That is why uh, we had to leave. She had to leave her uh, baby my younger brother in Japan, because there would be nobody to take care of him while she went to work here. And that separation trauma uh, affected his life for the rest of his uh, tragically short life. And, and so these kinds of support for women and for families is critical. And I understand that from my own lived experience. Mm -hmm. So, Senator, uh, we call you zero fucks Hirono around here because <laughs> we admire how you speak your mind and tell it like it is, um, mm -hmm. but it's never executed in a dramatic way or it, and it never really seems like you're att seeking attention. You're just telling us what you think. It's always matter of fact. Yes. Have you always been like that? <laughs> uh, it's been a journey for me because, uh, as I expressed in my book, I come from a culture, uh, both from my uh, Hawaii culture as well as my uh, Japanese culture, that being confrontational, being vocal, being aggressive are not traits that are particularly rewarded. 
And so in my political life, I basically got things done using other methods and being very strategic. I would um, use my voice once in a while, but never to the extent that I did during the Trump years, because I also can't uh, uh, stand bullies and it is important to stand up to bullies. And so my journey has been to enable me to be my more complete self, because now I use my brain, my heart and my voice. Hmm. Um, that's aspirational. And uh, speaking of zero fucks, uh, the House GOP just kicked Liz Cheney out of leadership mm-hmm. for having the audacity to tell the mm-hmm. truth about who won the election. Uh, before the election, then-candidate Joe Biden said the fever would break, but it looks kind of like the plague is spreading. What do no. you make of the House yeah. GOP's formal break with reality? I think their adherence to this person who's not even the president, their fear of him is palpable. And uh, apparently for them, uh, bowing to Trump is more important than telling the truth. And they haven't been telling the truth in a long, long time. And every once in a while, maybe Kevin McCarthy, right after January 6th, on January 6th, he might criticize the president. But then they go right back to into their, uh, their uh, really, I was going to stay Heidi Hills, but it's really pathetic <laughs> to watch them. And I think the Republican Party is, uh, is, uh, in my view, they are going down a very bad path. And I don't know where they're going to end up because they stand for nothing besides mm-hmm. having to kiss Trump's ring. Uh, it's, it's simply amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really glad that Liz Cheney is uh, sticking to her um, words and, and standing up to, to them as well as Trump. I hope that at some point it'll be like the McCarthy period where uh, some, somehow decency will once again prevail. But, uh, you know, I've seen, sadly, very little of it from the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Well, Senator Hirono, congratulations on your recent successes. Congratulations on the book. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us once again. Thank you. And come back anytime. (laughs) Mahalo. Thank you for the invitation. Mahalo. Aloha, everybody. (laughs) As I always say, I I always end by saying, uh, everyone stay safe, be kind. That's great. Take care, everybody. Yep. Take care. Bye. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. And welcome back. Alyssa and I are now joined by two wonderful women for a conversation about drama. Alyssa, do you like drama? Kind of love it. As long as it's not about me. Right, right. I like, I mean, I like drama too. I think like blind gossip, that celebrity, that it's, this is my most shameful joy is um, blind gossip, that website that just like, amalgamates all of the like celebrity gossip that doesn't have names attached to it. I'm obsessed with that website. <laughs> I'm obsessed with 
Ugh, but I know I shouldn't. I know it's dirty and bad. Um, I'm going to bring in the other two women who are joining us for the conversation. First up, she is a comedian, writer, director. I would call you a creator, but I feel like that word's been colonized by professional influencers who don't actually make anything. Um, so she's a creator, but like a real one. Kieran Deal. A meme is a thing, Ryan. A meme is a thing. <laughs> well, a meme is like, I guess like it's like a collage. It's like a digital collage, sort of, but less so. A digital collage. And that's and that's what you make. Or you make pictures of yourself, like sitting in front of, you know, nice furniture and looking really pretty. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's so great to be here. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> I feel like you would make a great no, you would make a hilariously bad influencer. And I feel like you could actually like create a character that was like, I'm an influencer who just like spills the beans about what the world <laughs> is all the time. And a lot of yelling, a very ranty influencer. <laughs> um, next, she is basically an honorary co-host at this point. You know her, you love her. It's Crooked Media's Priyanka Arabindi. Hi, thanks for having me back. Priyanka, where are you right now? I am in my grandma's guest bedroom, to be very specific. I'm in New Jersey for the week. Um, now that I'm vaxxed, I feel good to travel. So, uh, yeah, no, I have a very, you can't see, but like a little lilac -y background. Did you, did you take a plane? I took a plane to New York. I was in New York for a couple weeks and then here is close. So I just was like, oh, great. I'll spend a week with you. Was it weird to be on a plane? It was weird to me specifically because it wouldn't have been so weird had the guy next to me not been like super chatty. And I was like, this is, that, that was not really <laughs> the best way to be normally. Like, why are we doing this now? With his uh, mask on? Yes. Uh. And I'm like sitting there like, no, it was, it was a whole thing. Oh, yeah. I was like, I thought that was the death of, of that. Yeah, but you know, it could have been that the pandemic maybe made us all so desperate for face-to-face -face human interaction that now we're all going to be chatty. No. That's unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> I could see the first part. I don't really know about part number two. I really like plain time, actually. I realized I missed it because it's like, I don't know. I'm like, you, I guess you can get your shitty Wi-Fi there, but I'm like, this is uninterrupted time to just read a book. Like when else do you get five hours, no phone, no internet, no nothing? To just, mm -hmm. like, read a book. Mm -hmm. Sometimes at my house, I play airplane by just putting my phone in another room on a day I'm feeling very lazy. What and a that's <laughs> life. I need to learn how to do that. Any, <laughs> any day could be an airplane day if you just <laughs> remove your telephone and computer from the space. Yeah, yes. serve yourself, like, two glasses of water for five hours and, like, a little serving of peanuts. And boom. <laughs> right. Fall asleep in a way that really hurts your neck for several days. Um, that's another way to play airplane, less fun. Um, okay. So I wanted to talk today about drama because I've been thinking about drama because it's been in the news because it's always in the news because drama is interesting. But specifically, uh, we've been talking in the news about Bill and Melinda Gates getting a divorce and everybody's kind of having opinions about that. Uh, there's also been, uh, the Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez <laughs> reunion because everything from the year 2002 has come oh, back. That's funny. Ben already looks way better. Refreshed. Does she have like an aura around her she that must. just projects excellence on everybody? Or Botox. Yeah, it's true. 
And then the third piece of drama is like a sad piece. And I almost feel like bad bringing it up. But the but John Mulaney is getting a divorce. And I was very sad when I read that piece of information. And I was like, why am I so sad? I've never met John Mulaney, either of the Gateses, or uh, J-Lo or Ben Affleck. Never met any of them. But um, I was like, why do Ben and J-Lo feel like non-real enough to me that I can like crack jokes about their relationship? Why do Bill and Melinda feel non-real enough to me that I can crack jokes about their relationship? But John Mulaney and uh, his wife, Anna, um, why does that feel like, oh, this is so terrible? So I was like, yeah, this is something. This is something we can talk about. Um, Priyanka, since you are the guest, even though you're basically a squad member at this point, um, do you like drama? Like other people's drama? Do you like to to be the center of drama? What's the role of drama in your life? Yeah, so I feel like I don't have very much drama in my personal life and like never really have have been one to have a ton. Um, So I don't know what that experience is really like. Uh, Boo. 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 No, I don't. I also was thinking though, like it's more like the way you handle a conflict, not necessarily like having, everyone has them, but like it it seems to me that like drama arises from like going and talking to everybody about it or like specific things that you then do, which I also then was like, I feel like is, is separate in a way from what we're talking about. These public people who kind of like, we feel that we know them in some way or that we can like be invested or that we can just like comment on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's weird that we pursue it so much in entertainment, but I also think that we kind of feel entitled to it in a way. And I don't really know why. Mm-hmm. Well, Kieran, you're somebody who has like written stories that have like contained drama. And I was having a conversation with Josh the other day and he brought up this really interesting point and I would love to hear your thoughts. He said something about how it's like hard to write a love story because functional love doesn't have a lot of drama in it. Like if a relationship is functional, it shouldn't be dramatic. But if a story is interesting, it should be dramatic. Like, do you think that there is like a tension between uh, the way that we've seen love depicted in fiction and the way that we expect love to play out or um, relationships to play out in our lives? 100% 100% I think that. Yes, of course I think that. Ryan, there there, there are how many separate shows with, I'm like just screaming at you now. It's like, there are how screaming many, influencer. Coming, coming in super hot to an incredibly reasonable question because guys, this is about drama. It's like, but Bridgerton, Bridgerton, think about Bridgerton and then Grey's Anatomy and then then that other, then how to get away with murder. Like everything has a love triangle. Everything has like, you know, a guy that you could wash your clothing on his abs. Do you know what I mean? And then like people are licking each other and there's all this eye fucking. Yes, of course you need drama. Otherwise everything's boring. Why do I want to watch somebody be like, oh, like, can you please take off your socks before you go to bed? Like, that's not interesting. You want to escape. We want, we all, we're all looking for an escape and in entertainment specifically, we want to be entertained. That's the, that's one of the best parts of it, right? Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a piece of fiction that you think like specifically fucked up your concept of what a functional relationship should be? Like, is there a couple that you saw like that either was a celebrity (laughs) couple or like something that you were not personally attached to that you were like, that's love. And then as you got older, you're like, wait a minute, why am I trying to live this out? Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was like, something's not right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I th- well, I mean, I think the heart, I think the, the happily ever after, everything has the happily ever after to it, right? Like if you think about like sex in the city or whatever, like it ends when there's like this happily ever after. And really actually, isn't that just a beginning? That's a beginning. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, do you like drama? Okay. Do I like drama? So one, yes, in my personal hear- life, in my personal life, definitely not because drama equals anxiety, which equals IBS triggers for me. Right on. So <laughs> I like drama. Like it's so funny because when you brought up this topic, two weeks ago, I started watching Mayor of Easttown and Love I that. was so fucked up after because like, think about it. Like you guys on a day-to-day basis for four years, seeking it or not seeking it, Donald Trump brought severe drama into our lives every single day. And like, since he left, glad he's gone. Glad he's gone. Don't get me wrong. I'm kind of like, what's up? What's going on? And like the drama on Twitter is so fucking boring. So I start watching Mayor of Easttown and then I was like, it's like I need another hit. So I started rewatching Succession. <laughs> Because I couldn't get enough. I'm like, I need backbiting. I need drama. I need to know. Guess what? I know what Logan, I know what happens in the season, in the season two finale. I don't care. Because in season one, I'm like, what is Logan Roy gonna do? And that is, to me, it's like, it's a little bit of an adrenaline. It's up, it's down. It's, you know, I love it. It's so fun. Mm -hmm. It's like, I miss soap (laughs) operas, you know? Do you think that, um, do you think that like people's love of drama or gravitating toward drama is why more people liked or more people watched Donald Trump's speeches than watched Joe Biden's speeches? I think that it was it was a, a modicum of drama, but also I mean Donald Trump was tweeting things like "I'm going to bomb North Korea," so it was really also like a safety thing, like like what's right. going to happen <laughs> to us. Are we in danger? You know, what is he undoing? I mean, he literally undid, people like to say he undid things by fiat. It's like, no, he undid them by tweet. And so I think that that was definitely something. And also, I mean, having worked in the White House, I know that nobody really watched Barack. I mean, no one's watched a former president the way that they ever watched Donald Trump. So we really are back to normal-ish, which is great. But it's mm-hmm. also now like kind of need a fix. And if it comes yeah. in the form of Logan Roy, so be it. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like Donald Trump was like, it sort of feels like we were kind of all stuck in this big like stadium. And then Donald Trump comes into the stadium and he's like carrying this giant bomb and the fuse is lit. And he's just like, so we're all just like, we better watch that guy that's got the bomb. Nobody's stopping him. And now he's like outside of the stadium kind of lumbering around and we're still watching him because he's still got the bomb, even though he's like less dangerous. Um, But yeah, it definitely feels like, I definitely feel like more bored by politics now, but it's almost a relief. But isn't also drama, like part of drama is that there's someone in the equation that you're rooting for right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the element of the drama. It's like, is the good person or the person that you like going to be the winner or the whatever? It's not fun drama if there's not someone you're rooting for. Otherwise, it's just like, this is complicated and bad. Exactly. It's like my first real memory of drama was when Brad and Jen just announced they were going to get divorced. And I was like, this can't be happening. And of course, at that point, 
you're kind of rooting for both of them. And then you found out about Angelina. And that is when I got <laughs> online and got my Team Aniston shirt from Kitson and was like, this is fucked up. And it was, and that was when the real drama began because when they separated amicably, there wasn't really drama. It's like Bill and Melinda. I give no fucks. Guess what? They are both rich. I'm not really rooting for either one of them. They're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, totally. Priyanka, what was your first memory of like a drama involving people that have nothing to do with you, but that you nevertheless felt very invested. It's in. really funny because it was the same thing. We talked about this topic, or we were mentioning this topic, and I was like, yeah, uh, Brad and Jen, Angelina. Then when Brad Pitt, I have a very distinct memory of when Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie then um, decided to separate or whatever the first news break was. It was, uh, I was in a newsroom and people like stood up. We changed the TV. People were like, are they going to, I think Obama was on TV. They were like, are they going to kick him off for this? It was like, are you crazy? No, they're not. But like, this is insane. Do you um, remember the W Magazine cover with Angelina and Brad? Yes. I was oh like, my God, yes. are you kidding me? You did not just do that when Mr. and Mrs. Smith came out. Guys, yep. this was in 2004 and I remember it clear as day. <laughs> The detachment. I think there's something about the, like, you need enough distance. You need enough distance for the drama to be fun. Trump Trump no, drama totally. wasn't Trump no. drama wasn't fun because it was like, oh, what happens with this policy? Oh, is my family going to be able to travel on the airplane? Like, that to me wasn't so fun. But with Brad and Jen, you're like, well, it's perfect anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, how does perfection get ruined? Like, it's like this, it's getting to be like a, like a little peeping Tom. Mm hmm. What was the first time that you found yourself like emotionally reacting to a kind of Brad and Jen type situation? I I can't remember the first Brad and Jen type situation, but I remember like the first boy girl party that I went to like as a um, salacious drama, guys, um, as like <laughs> whatever. But like it was like a boy girl pool party and people were like, oh, should we play spin the bottle? Oh, should we get in the closet? And do, like very innocent, like, oh, seven minutes in heaven, but children, we were children, do you understand? And mm -hmm. I had all these great suggestions because I had read a lot of Judy Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I looked forward to like opportunities for drama to happen in my life when I was a child. Like I totally I couldn't wait. Like the boy girl parties, I, I didn't go to that many, but the ones I went to was like for weeks, I'd like lay out my outfit, be like, okay, you know, is the boy I like going to be there? What about the girl I don't like? What's going to go on with that? Who's like, going to slow dance. Yep. yep. Yeah, t totally. And like, I look back on my like journals from when I was a kid, and I wish I could say I was making these really precocious observations about the nature of existence, but I wasn't. <laughs> I was cataloging. <laughs> I was cataloging interactions that I had that were very mundane with the bo various boys that I liked. That was it. My childhood journal did not pass the Bechdel test. Like, it's <laughs> embarrassing. But, Wait, like— Do you I've have an excerpt for us now? Because is there an no. excerpt available? No, they're, they're still at my parents' house, and I don't want to be in the same room with them. I'm so embarrassed by how, like, addicted to boy-related drama I was when I was a kid. Um, Alyssa, do you, were you like that or did you like escape child drama addiction? No, definitely not. Because I'm the person everybody wanted to tell their secrets to. 
Ooh. And so oh. it was always, it would be like, well, it's like, it, it's, it's, well, you know, so-and-so wants to be at the dance tonight with so-and-so and they would tell me, but then someone else would tell me that they wanted to dance with so-and-so. And then I try to be like a little, little <laughs> power broker out there on the dance floor. <laughs> be like, do you want to dance with Debbie? <laughs> and then you'd be like, you put yourself in the friend zone real fast though when you play this like, you know, I'm just going to broker all the dancing on the dance floor. But no, it was, uh, there was always drama. And then there's the time that like your best friend likes someone, but then the guy likes you, but you kind of like him. And what are you going to do? Disaster. I loved it. I loved it. It was great. I mean, I hated it kind of, but I loved it. (laughs) It's really so similar. It had to be, that sounds like a really good, like it, like almost a direct runway to your your time in the White House. It's just well, like brokering deals. It's and, a funny you know. thing because the White House is actually so dramatic, right? Like there was no, no more course. satisfying 360 experience than working in the White House. And it's not like, I don't mean it's drama like between staff people, but I mean, essentially the whole job is being in conflict about something. <laughs> The White yeah. House, a drama lover's paradise. Totally. <laughs> like, oh my God, what's next? And then we started watching Scandal and we were like, this is too much. This is beyond. <laughs> this is too much. I was thinking about how stand-up, it's like what's exciting about it or what's really fun about it is that you can take something and what you wouldn't say in real life or how angry you would get or how mean you might get or your real thinking. If you do that in real life, you're a monster. You're a monster, right? Mm-hmm. But if you put it on stage, it becomes, you're, you're making it more dramatic. You're making a story more dramatic. You're making it funnier by like heightening it and escalating it. And that's kind of the fun of it. And you take back the story and make it yours and you can shift the point of view, but it's also like you get to make, you get to make it bigger than it is. Right. And that's, that is drama. And that's mm-hmm. what I guess a lot of comedians went into professionally. So it's, we're really, we're really just low budget joke slingers versus like Alyssa's like <laughs> drama in the White House, which honestly is a much more impressive way to spend your time. <laughs> um, so I want to talk a little bit about like drama can be really exhausting. Like working in the White House with that much drama and having to be like the wrangler of it sounds very emotionally draining. Do you all have memories of working with somebody or having to, you know, share a space with somebody, maybe like a roommate or whatever, who was particularly dramatic? Like Priyanka, who is the most dramatic person that you've been forced to spend lots of time with? And like, how did that go? And if you can't think of somebody, it's been you. Oh, I've got there. No, I have a couple, (laughs) I have a couple thoughts. I I don't want to like air their specific names. Um, But I also think that like, so much of what perpetuates like drama rather than just like having a normal conflict is like the running around and talking to so many people about it and like the way you handle things. And I think I I probably wasn't the best in, I'm thinking of certain situations like this and I definitely was like talking to people about it and like making it, not attempting to make it a whole thing consciously, but like in ways, yes, doing that. Um, and I think, I don't know, something I also think about with like when we we think about drama and celebrity relationships or like drama with like real people and not like, you know, fictional things. Um, you kind of realize at some point like how shitty it feels like in your own life when you're going through that. Like as Alyssa was saying, like drama in your own life is just, is anxiety. Like you're sitting in your bed. For me, it's like replaying conversations and like how I should have responded or whatever. 
um, it's like really like a shitty, terrible feeling. And then, I don't know, I think that gives you a little bit more empathy or like a little more, in some cases, uh, watching public people go through things like almost, you know, like breakups and things like that, where you're like, I, sure, maybe I will leave you alone. And some it's just like, cause you're uninteresting to me, like Bill and Melinda. I, I also, I'm like, I don't. See, right. Cause mm-hmm. Priyanka, I don't think that Bill or Melinda are listening to like Sarah McLaughlin in no. their bedroom with the shades down. So I don't have right. empathy. Right. I just said, well, also like it's, that's, I will say that's not interesting to me. So I'm like, okay, you're, that's fine. But like some of them are like more inherently interesting, but it's like, okay, I also do get how that is shitty and bad. Maybe I've never experienced the same thing as you, but I think like going through a little bit of drama in your own life kind of can give you a perspective that makes it a little less like delicious, quote unquote, for Mm -hmm. real people. Delicious, Mm -hmm. like drama can be delicious in fictional situations. I will say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being the center of drama probably like sucks. I I don't think I've really been the center of very much drama because I prefer to like observe it rather than be in the middle of it. But I feel like there are people who crave it and people who really try to like be the ones that are, that are like the, the, the talked about people. And I don't understand. I don't know if they know that they do that consciously. The Kardashians know. I think some people do it for calculated, like in a calculated way, but I'm thinking of like people in personal interactions who, and like even like friends of mine, I don't think they're like consciously aware that like that's sort of that they're getting themselves into these types of situations all the time or like that it's a recurring thing, but it's kind of like, that doesn't have to be, it's not just like, woe is you, like this stuff kind of happens to you. It's like, it, you play a part in perpetuating drama. And I also... Mm -hmm. Wanted to side note on this earlier. You mentioned the Bechdel test earlier. I was really thinking about how the word drama and like the, the kind of like connotations and associations we have around them are very like, at least in my mind, I don't know if you guys feel this way, are very like, it's like catty girls or women. And it's like, men have conflicts too. I don't know if we would, perpet- like we would call that drama, Dude. but like they Dude. do. Let's so normalize. Petty. So petty is a gender. It shouldn't yeah. be, yeah. Like it's not gender specific, like who is having these types of conflicts, but what we call them and the way we refer to them. Right. I really Look, feel like it's like women's conflicts are drama. I feel over the last few years, I've made it like a personal self-improvement mission to broaden my con- my like perception of what is dramatic. And my scientific conclusion from this project has been that men are extremely fucking dramatic. Have you ever <laughs> watched a Europe? Have Total you ever watched a, a international soccer game? Those guys are flopping around on the pitch, crying like babies, pretending to be injured. You watch a women's soccer match; they are not diving. Diving in international soccer is like exhibits A through Z of men being just as dramatic, if not more dramatic <laughs> than women. And all of the drama that happened in the Trump White House was, for the most part, male-driven. Like the people, I'm not complimenting the women that worked for President Trump because they're ghouls. Um, but women in that administration had longer careers than the men because they were able to keep their shit together. Like Kellyanne Conway is a a parasitic growth on American democracy, but that parasitic growth survived 
for the entire, like, all, the, for, for longer than almost anybody else who was there at the beginning. Ultimately so, undone by family drama. Family drama, yes. Family <laughs> drama, right, right. Like, that was something that kind of left me a little bit conflicted because it was like, when you see somebody else's family drama, it's like, do I get to have an opinion even if I really fucking hate this person personally? Do I get to have an opinion on whether or not she's a good mom? And I felt very, like, icky judging you know well I mean like if you did form an opinion it would because it was because there were uh, TikToks and video available that provided you some context in which to have an opinion right it all seemed very bad and I yeah I just I felt really awful about it but I mean I think that that Priyanka your point about drama being being like presented as a female trait is like really really good because I, I think that we all have been around men who are very dramatic. Kieran, you work in showbiz. That's a that's an industry full of dramatic people who are constantly being either pumped full of ego or had their ego, you know, rejected. Like, have you noticed a difference in the way that men and women like act out the drama over that like emotional roller coaster? I th- I've been very lucky that I think the folks who who really want to mess with me are like it's a, it's almost like self-selecting. I think if f- folks are pretty, you know, I- I've I've been lucky to avoid a lot of toxic workplaces on like the bigger projects that I've worked on. Um, but you hear about it; it's so prevalent in you know in entertainment. You hear, I mean, th- this is the other side of it. It's like I read an article like that's the one about Scott Rudin you know, being like a monster to his assistants and like smashing the laptop and like all of that kind of stuff. And it's like, that's drama. That's somebody who, but it's also kind of like egomaniacal. It's real people. And it feels like nightmarish to me. You know, there, there's something like a darker side that feels nightmarish. Like, what is it? I'm curious what makes, what makes it, it's like Bra- Brangelina feels like, like, fun and salacious in this way because it's like they're so removed from where we are. Um, But when you hear about like real, real people going through a situation of like harassment or, you know, abuse in a workplace, it feels like it feels really icky and gross. You know, do Mm -hmm. you guys like, but both of those would technically qualify as drama. No, definitely. But it's because in the first one, there's no real victim. Right. In the second scenario, when you talk about Scott Rudin, the victim. there's a victim in that. And that's that's terrible. You know, that's bad. Like he's a bad mm-hmm. person. And you're you're also you're like you want to know how that other person is. That person can't, you know, they are they are they're the victim. And so mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's the difference when I look for my drama. I would push when, back. A, oh, go ahead. I, I mean, uh, just real quick, I would push back a little bit and say, like, You know, I've been through heartbreak before, like most adult human beings. And I've also been through having like a shitty boss. And I can go ahead and say that heartbreak hurt more than the shitty boss. That's not saying that the people that Scott Rudin abused, um, that their feelings aren't valid or anything. I'm just saying that the feelings of like big, huge celebrities like Brad Pitt and and Jennifer Aniston, their feelings are super valid. Like, and so- So like, you know, I I recently listened to a five-part podcast series on um, Princess Diana, and uh, she was one of those people that I think 
was so famous and so wealthy and so beautiful and so far seemed so far removed that it seemed like everybody everybody felt entitled to her like they felt entitled to knowing everything there was to know about her they felt entitled to photos taken of her without her consent and like they kind of treated her like she was a really expensive pet that everybody owned instead of a a, a human person and like it had really tragic like consequences that have echoed like through generations and I just wonder, like, I'm not trying to shame anybody for, like, being salaciously interested in, like, celebrity drama. But even, like, even when I'm, like, when I, when I like, look back on coverage of, like, Katie Holmes uh, really cannily breaking up with Tom Cruise and being like, yeah, way to go, you know? Like, I don't know any of the actual human emotions that are behind that. I don't know anything that's, like, so I can only enjoy it to a very finite point before I start to feel bad about myself. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, these are people, you know, it's sort of, yeah. Or the, I get, I get really like the interpersonal part of it gets really like when someone cheats on someone else or whatever. And the commonplaceness of that, cause like we're, it always just like my mom teaches in a preschool, like she's, she has these preschoolers, she has a preschool and it's like, in that school, it's always like share, try to be good. And it's like really, it feels like it's the ve- the last vestige of a place where I hear about these values that are like about being like a good American citizen other than like when somebody's trying to get elected. Like other mm. than that, it feels like there, it, it just isn't, I don't hear, I don't, I don't, those don't seem to be practices that that are in a lot of workplaces. And maybe that's just my own negative perspective and that's untrue. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's, but does that make sense? Like they're like the, the prevalence of the prevalence of people cheating on each other to me is it's really like it, it, um, it, it, I find myself getting more curious about like, what is the thinking behind why someone makes those choices and decisions? And like, how do you get to that place? And like, what are the ways in which like understanding the psychology behind it gets more fascinating to me than like, than like the fun quick fix of like a, oh, they're getting divorced or, oh, this thing happened or that couple's really hot. Like to me, that's just like a very quick little like jolt of like dopamine. But the, but then when you sit in it, it can get, it can get icky. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree with you. It can indeed get icky. It can get very icky. Okay. Um, I just wanted to, to ask you guys, if you're comfortable sharing, can you recall an instant, incident where you acted dramatic in a situation where you were the drama and that you can look back on now and find it funny? Mm-hmm. Like, have, have you ever thrown a drink in someone's face? Have you ever gotten in a big fight in public? Like, have you ever had a moment where you're like, ha I... I am victorious. Like anything like that? Because I I have one that I will tell and I will give you guys a chance to think about your story. Uh, I, you know, and I'm going to preface this because I know some people I went to high school with listen to the show. Uh, Shout out to Erica uh, and a couple others. Uh, So we had this thing at my school called Winter Week, which was basically like homecoming, but for winter sports. Because where I grew up, we had like football, cross country and volleyball were in the fall. And then in the winter we had like basketball and wrestling and gymnastics. And we'd had this like thing called a a pep fest, pep rally type thing where we would have silly games on the Friday of the week. And then there would be like a dance later. 
And there was one particular winter week, I believe it was my junior year of high school, where there was a boy who was a year older than me that I had a crush on and I was mad at him. I don't really want to go into why I was mad at him, but I was mad at him. And there was a pie eating contest. And this boy and I both got called down to be participants in a pie eating contest. I was the junior class representative in this pie eating contest. He was senior class. And then the freshman and sophomore were, I, I think they were both siblings of friends of mine. So like, that's how small schools work. Everybody's like siblings. Um, so, you know, we get down to the pie eating contest. I was mad to be sitting next to this dude. I start the pie eating contest. I look down at my pie. It's like just not real, not a real pie. It's like pudding with whipped cream on top. And I was like, I don't want to eat this pie, but I am sitting next to this boy that I would like to slam a pie onto. And so rather than eating the pie, I picked my pie up and I slammed it into the back of his head, pushing his face deeply into his pie. And then that became a little bit of a pie fight. Um, that was a moment where I was the center of drama and I don't regret it. I didn't hurt him. I Aaron, didn't like, you just sound like an icon to me, like I a didn't. high school icon. This doesn't sound <laughs> like I know, drama. this is the legend, legend. She's yeah, a legend. I, I didn't, I didn't hurt him. I, I didn't like violently, but I just like picked my pie up and just poop in the back of his head. And then it ended up being like, it was funny, you know, it ended up, I think. I would think it was funny. I don't know. I haven't talked to the guy in years and years and years, but I'm sure he's doing great. Um, okay, so that, that's my that's my dramatic story. Ryan, um, you started a whole sport that sounds like it could be a, <laughs> like next to next to WWF and like you know. I. I do not advocate assault. I do not consider it assault because it was in the context of a pie eating contest. I would say don't do that outside of the context where people could just expect to have pie on them, but. I don't know. I'm rationalizing. I probably did. I was, it was probably bad. I think the statute of limitations has expired. I hope. Um, Alyssa, do you want to go next? <laughs> yeah. So um, this was maybe 2012. I don't really remember what year it was, but we were getting a new chief of staff in the White House and all these reporters were writing stories about what it would mean for people. And someone talked to this reporter and ca characterized my job as much smaller than it was. And I was already a little amped up. You know what I mean? Like I was already on edge. And this and the press team sends out the article because it comes out talking about White House intrigue. And as I said, I don't like the drama when it's about me. And I read this article and I my face just sets fire. I was like, who the fuck would say this about me? I have done nothing but fucking work for you people. I have not just done my job. I have done nice things for your families. I have done, I have gone above and beyond. And someone fucking knifed me like this, which I basically replied all to the whole email chain and said. And on my behalf girlfriend, Kathy Rumler, White House counsel, fucking doubles down, right? She's like, fucking amen, Alyssa. Like, that's not actually what she said, but that was the vibe. <laughs> and she's, and like the two of us basically over email high five each other. We're like, yeah, fuck, fuck them. How the fucking dare they? How dare they? So I come into the office the next day feeling good about myself. And I go into my office. I'm like, no one's ever going to fuck with me again. And I get a call that's like, hey, POTUS wants to see you. So I go down to the Oval and the president's like, hey, you. And I was like, hey. He's like, so I heard you sent an email. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he's like, I heard you sent an email. And my face, I got, so I was 
And he's like, and so I start kind of looking out the window. He's like, stop trying to figure out who came to talk to me, which is exactly what I was doing. And he was just like, listen, you know, you need to understand that when you say things like that, people get upset. And I was like, get upset? What? Like I was going to come in this morning and tell on them to you? And so they preempted by saying I acted like a lunatic last night. He's like, that's not the vein in which it was offered. And I was like, there is no other way, in, there's no <laughs> other vein in which it could have been offered. And he's like, just stop, okay? It's a stupid press article. You're the first one to tell people to not take that shit seriously. And I was like, fine. I'm like, thank you for taking the time. And I go to walk out of the office and he's like, stop trying to figure out who it was. <laughs> and of course I couldn't let it go. I go to the meeting that morning and I was just like, so I talked to POTUS this morning just to see if someone looked down at the table to figure it out. And then I was like, Alyssa, stop it. And I was sitting across from Pfeiffer and he was just like shaking his head like, stop it. <laughs> You've done enough. Stop it. But that was a time in which I was the drama. I didn't like how it felt. I never sent an email like that ever again. You know, that's that's the most Machiavellian thing I've ever heard you do. Like being like, I just want him to be fearful. I just I, want him to live in fuck fear. Em. Fuck you, motherfuckers. <laughs> just kidding. Too Love iconic. Still friends with everybody. Drama Someone nice. <laughs> I do love this. I do love this idea of, of how many, like just, you had a, your own vocabulary. I went to see POTUS in the Oval and I was like, I haven't heard a story like this. It's a POTUS in the Oval. And I was like trying to keep up just with the terminology. So exciting. Oh, thank you, Kieran. Thank you. Like, Alyssa, I feel like though, it, with your with workplace drama or like taking it elsewhere, it just like, as Kieran is saying, like, this is the most delicious drama. Like I have, I have come into contact with in right? Because it didn't happen so, to you, but you can so enjoy you, it because I'm clearly fine. Right. No, but I mean, like, you're just in a situation that it's like everyone cares about. So, of course, like, you can, like, perpetuate your drama or, like, take it elsewhere because people are inherently interested in it. I feel like for most people, it's like, this isn't actually that interesting to me. <laughs> Why do I care? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you just have the world's most interesting drama. Thank you. Priyanka, have you ever been at the center of, have you ever been the drama cause? Ryan, it's a little mean to make either of us go now that we've heard POTUS drama. Like, and also, like, put it under, in different like, context. Uh, put it into humiliated in front of POTUS. Okay. You can do better. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the POTUS thing, the POTUS thing is so great, though, because it is, it is funny that he's like, Remember, you're a good person. You're a person who doesn't care about this shit. And it's like everything in his language is like, you know who you are. And you're like, no, but I'm angry. And he's like, no, no, you're chill. You're a chill person. You're chill and cool. Remember? And then you're like, well, okay, I guess I am. <laughs> like, uh, Okay, Priyanka, I'm not letting um, you off the hook. No, I mean, I don't have any very good stories. I think I can, can maybe tell you a few about like when I was talking shit about somebody and it like got back to them. And like, that's, oh, that's great. Brutal. Um, but like, no, I think for most every part of my life, I don't consider myself like cool enough to like have been in the center of drama that people care about. Like not even at this point now where it's like, I'm on the internet, like no one really <laughs> cares. Like I'm not like a, a, enough of a fish at all to like, that anyone like really cares what I do, which is fine. I'm okay with that. I don't really need to be in this. I think it's better that way. Um, mm -hmm. but I, I think like from middle school, high school, it's like anything. Like I was on the sideline of like drama, like affiliated with people who were in it, but like really not 
Oh, so that's the ideal spot. Yeah. Also, yeah. Bystander. Also, <laughs> yeah. Also that, that little like very like, I'm, I never really cause any drama. If we were making a movie about a super spy, that ex- that's exactly it's the monologue like- that it would, it would open <laughs> with this monologue and we would be cutting it. We would be cutting ironically. We would have a VO of you being like, I've just never really been involved in I stuff. Know. And then we would cut to footage of you like, like uh, Jason Bourne style, like beating a guy up with a magazine or something like that. Okay. I will say, no, I but suspect like, I, I, you, Priyanka. <laughs> suspect. There have been a number of times in this conversation alone, Priyanka, that you've just been like, I mean, when you talk to other people about stuff, when you, when you know, it's like sometimes it's like you're venting to other people and you've just kind of <laughs> circled that. You've circled that several times and it's maybe very, very suspicious no, slash curious. I, my, the only drama I feel like I've really been a part of is like the kind where it's like people kind of like cattily like talking in their own circles or like talking to the same people about each other. Like that is kind of the extent of the drama. I've never had like a dramatic confrontation in like the way that like a pie or being confronted by POTUS. I just feel like my drama is a little too small scale for this conversation. (laughs) It's not that I am, have not, I'm not a perfect angel. I certainly have done things that I'm like, yeah, that was dramatic. And I regret like going to run my mouth in that way. But like, all of it has been very small scale, I will oh. say. Well, you're way more well-adjusted than I was when I was in my 20s. No, I, was, I just wasn't cool enough to, like, have drama. I am not oh, cool God. enough to have important trust, drama. Trust me, as someone who's gotten pulled over by a police officer while sobbing along the Indiana toll road, I'm going to go ahead and say not being dramatic is the way to go. I think no, like no, 20- no, I'm dramatic, but, like, not, like, the drama in the way that we're talking about. Like, oh, okay. I, I've certainly— we did a whole episode about crying. You know that. You guys know that. I'm like, yeah, please. Oh, no, I was crying about a boy. Like, there was relationship <laughs> drama that led me to— there was this whole chain of events, and I was speeding, but my odometer broke, and the cop pulled me over, and I was sobbing, and it was this whole thing. Um, Kieran, what what's, what's your uh, center of drama story? There's— I guess I can be pretty— like, I'm not afraid of— I mean— when somebody really hurts me who's, like, very, very close to me, like, in a relationship or whatever, I do find that interpersonal conflict, like, very, very stressful. You know, if somebody's, somebody's very, very close. But I think I have been told that I – it's, like – but if somebody – if it's if it's been inappropriate or whatever, I'll say – I will, like, address the situation. And there's been a lot of times that that's just blown up in my face. That's been – that's really blown up in my face. But maybe the best example – I, when I was, this is like such a nerdy example. This is very nerdy. And I, I never found this. I'll tell, I'll tell you the story. And if we, and if we don't want to keep it, we don't have, we don't have to keep it um, because Caroline says so. That's our producer. <laughs> um, so this is a pretty nerdy story. When I was in, when I was in high school, uh, me and one of my, I would say one of my best friends since uh, middle school, we were like neck and neck for position like one and two for the valedictorian and the salutatorian, which is why I'm saying this is a very nerdy story. And um, and she had taken one more class, and whatever. And so at the end, and I remember being like, look, we're all going to go to a good college. Everyone's like doing the thing. It's fine. And I love that you still know all the details of this drama. That's my <laughs> because, side note. <laughs> because, no, you don't understand, Priyanka, this like became, like it made the paper. Like it what? was like Keep this. Keep going. This, Keep going. Yeah, what? this story made like the fucking local news was calling me about this shit. So the principal calls us both into the office, lovely man. And he was like, yo, you guys are like so neck and neck. It's so, 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 so close. 
that like I thought maybe you guys could be like co-valedictorians. You could you could be valedictorians together and your friends and whatever. And I was like, yeah, tight, great, sounds great, you know, cool, great. And um, and then we found out who who was ahead, and it was she was ahead by a little bit, you know, just by a little bit, whatever. Right. And I, I remember thinking it was curious because I was like, oh, that's interesting because it was the other way around. Right. And this is like, again, the thing here is that this is a friend since um, since middle school, six years we're talking, um, seven, I guess. Yeah, the whole of middle school. And and it turned out she was a little bit ahead, which is fine. But when we left the office, right, it was like I was we were we were talking to one another and I was like, oh, like, what do you think happened? And then she told me that um, at the beginning of the school year, she had like enrolled with her mom in a bunch of like university classes and then like not told me about it, like had just basically taken a bunch of other classes secretly, which is so insane to me. Like it's so insane on the level of like, it's insane on the level that that means that to me, what I learned from, I was like, so I've known you for six years and you're one of my closest friends and you looked me in the face every day at lunch and you lied to my fucking face. You lied to my face for ye- for a whole year. You looked in my face and you lied. What? So you could be, so that, what, so for, to, to, you know, an eighth of a hundredth of a point so that you could be the valedictorian of like, your high school, this doesn't matter. This doesn't, this is not, this is, if this is your biggest accomplishment, you fucked up, bitch. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't even want this. This is so petty. It doesn't matter. What perspective to have for an 18 year old. Yeah. It does, like, because, but you, it just doesn't matter. Like, it's, and we were already into schools, whatever. And, and I remember I like, I kind of like looked her in the face. I nodded. I nodded. And then I like walked away. I walked away and I never spoke to her again. I never spoke to her again. And I guess that says something about me. I'm just like, I'm out, man. Oh, yeah. And then, and so hold on. So then the mom complains. The mom complains and she was like, my kids work so hard. She has to be the valedictorian. So she's the valedictorian. But then the whole school was like, Kieran's been wronged. Like this whole, like people knew we were friends, right? There we go. This is good. It made it, it made it to the local paper. Do you understand? Like, and then it was just, it it just really. What did the local paper report? That's a great question. They were like, they were like, what's your what's your opinion on like what happened and whatever? And I was like, I don't want to talk to you. What? <laughs> You're an adult. Get a job. Yeah, like, full grown adult asking me about my grades. Wait. Yeah, are you asking me about? It's like what? But it's the central theme to me that makes that so dramatic. It's the it's the personal betrayal. It was the it was the fact. It was a it was the friendship betrayal. It's a thing in social network. It's like the fact that it's your friend and somebody can like look you in the face and just be like, "Yo, but it's me. Like I gotta work on me." So then in the speech, in the valid in the speeches, we get we both gave speeches, right? Okay, that was another so then, question. Okay, yeah, yeah. So in the speech, like. I put a line in and I thought it was like funny. I thought it was like funny and like ironic, like <laughs> yes. where I was Uh-oh. just like, where's where, it going? Yeah, I put, it was like a single line that I put in that was like, you know, something about this sometimes, you know, whatever, you know, your best friend of six years betrays you during a thing. You know what I, <laughs> like I maybe put like, just like it, but it's a simple sentence and people like, 
people loved that they were like damn you got some balls on you you know what i mean to to uh to say this and i was like i don't know why simply stating the truth has become dramatic i understand why but i think it's cuz people are so conflict averse they won't say shit no Kieran, um, at your high school graduation you took <laughs> aim and shot the valedictorian in the face so no it was like it was, you have to understand it was in like paragraph 3 is like a single example Shut you understand? it was up. just like your a very story simple. kicked my story's ass that story is gold you should that write that's an, an amazing essay. story listening to your story about personal betrayal i think also like my maybe my definition of drama like i'm like ooh interpersonal conflicts and like what categorizes it as drama i'd certainly have like feelings of personal betrayal but like when does that become drama like when are you like ooh like this is that- I don't know. When you Do have you know it I mean? out in the bathroom. Yeah. I argue a different point. I would say that drama is when there is a sense of an internal personal conflict that's like a high level of, you know, I would say probably probably betrayal is the biggest one. Shit, never know? mind. Yeah. I have a queen of drama over here. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. I'm this glad is we all got tracking. to the bottom of all of this. Yeah, we right. worked some okay. things out here. Queen of drama or drama queen? Uh, no, Priyanka, <laughs> I I look forward to your illustrious career in shit stirring. I can't wait to see what you do. Um, you're real rookie of the year over here. <laughs> okay, guys, we have to. This was a great conversation, very dramatic. Uh, not really. This was just fun. Um, we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, sanity corner. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. And welcome back. We have reached almost the end of the show, but not quite this week. We are going to take you through what is keeping us sane. It is our sanity corners. Alyssa, you have to run pretty soon, so I'm going to let you go first. What's keeping you sane lately? So you guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can listen to Christmas music year-round on Sirius XM. And (laughs) I have had a hard time sleeping. So I was like, first I was trying to watch shows, but shows keep me up. And I can't do podcasts because podcasts also sort of keep me up, even everything going on in the world, BBC, global news podcast is too much for me. So I was like, what can I listen to? And I kept scrolling and I have like my favorite channels. And I was like, what is this Christmas tradition still alive? So anyway, (laughs) I have been listening to The Little Drummer Boy, et cetera, et cetera, at night. (laughs) It is so soothing because you know what I never realized is like at Christmas time, Christmas carols at night kind of like remind you of the shit you have to do for Christmas. You know, it's like, oh shit, I should do this and this. And it's not that soothing. Now it is just, it is just Perry Cuomo and Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole, you name it. So anyway, that's what I've been doing. I feel so good and I've been sleeping like a fucking rock. Oh my gosh. So it's like attending somebody else's wedding as a date. Yeah. Versus you're like, this throwing is your lovely. own wedding. <laughs> yeah. You're like, ooh, this is just happening for me and I don't even have to do anything. Nothing to be done except just 
feel like I'm in a warm blanket with a crackling fire and snowflakes. Oh, it sounds great. Yeah. Uh, although I would say if you say that too loudly around other people in northerly climates, they will be like, shut the fuck up. We earned this summer. It's coming. To be clear, gonna, I'm mm, saying this mm. while wearing a turtleneck because it's a bit chilly today. So <laughs> <laughs> joke's on me. Sometimes cold weather puts me in the mood for Christmas, even if it's just like not the right season. I'll be yeah, like, ooh, 60 degrees. Yeah, got to listen to some some jingle bells. Um, Alyssa, thank you so much for that sanity corner. That's a good one. I don't know if I'm going to, I, you know what? I might buy into it because sometimes I can't sleep either. So I'm try, just try it. It's so oh. fucking soothing. Amazing. Okay, guys, I will go next. Uh, per usual, my sanity corner is a book because I don't do anything anymore. Um, I am reading a book. I love books that, especially during pandemic, books that have a feeling of like constant motion, constant movement. Last year, I read a book called Flights by a Polish author named Olga Tokarczyk, and that is an incredible book. She's one of my favorite writers, even though there's only like four of her books that have been translated to English. She's fantastic. I am currently reading a book called Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. And it is about uh, a, a woman who's an adventurer who like in the 1920s was like traveling around the world and having adventures and a woman in the present day who has to play her in a movie. And like just the feeling after being kind of not really able to feel as though you had the ability to go places or like even dream about going places for the last year. It's really cool to be in like a headspace where it's like, now they're on a ship and now she's like flying this place and now she's doing this and now she's doing this. And um, the author Maggie Shipstead did like a lot of research and traveled as she was writing the book. And I follow her on Instagram and it was like really fun to see her do all this cool shit and be like, what is she up to? Um, this is what she was up to. It's a really, it's a really fun book. It's a really fun read. Um, and I found it to be a really great way to, to feel unstuck during a time of a lot of feeling stuck. So Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead and Flights by Olga Tokarczyk are two real good books if you want to feel like you're leaving your house, if you're not leaving your house. Um, Priyanka, do you want to go next? Sure. So I recently read, after like wanting to read it for a really long time, I read Marianne Williamson's book, A Return to Love. And I think that there are like some aspects of Marianne Williamson and certainly in the book as well that like not for everybody, it is about like in a way religion. It's not like specifically tied to one religion, but it kind of is like about, you know, God or the universe or like whatever kind of concept of that you have, like some kind of higher power. Um, I liked reading it a lot. A lot of it was the, the crux of it was sort of about like the interconnectedness of people, which I think like in some ways we all know, but we definitely like become disconnected from. And there were little like pieces here and there. Um, not every single bit resonated with me, like maybe like varying amounts of things from zero to like all will resonate with, you know, varying amounts of people it just kind of depends on the place you're in and who you are. I totally get that. Um, but I don't know. I I have found like a, a level of, of, comfort and and peace in some ways from from I don't know reading that and and ruminating on some of the ideas there so do with mm -hmm. that whatever you will or do nothing <laughs> I don't mind 
Um, oh yeah. man, Priyanka, you've been poisoned by the online. Because, I really like, have. I really <laughs> have. <been poisoned. laughs> because like, I'm of not course, when you read ratio, but I like just don't. Please don't. Right. <laughs> no, but okay. of course, when you read a book that's about spirituality, that's yeah. written by somebody that has a little bit of a reputation of being like woo-woo white lady spirituality. Like you feel like you need to qualify the fact that you connected with it and enjoyed it, but actually you don't. Like read things about spirituality and feel free to connect or not connect with it, or at least be like, okay, now I know what this person's thought process is. At the very least. I think it also like, it made me feel a little bit bad. I mean, in some ways, like sure, would Marianne Williamson be like uh, the greatest president? Like I don't necessarily think so, but like, I think we were in many ways, and I use we like very broadly, not like we, the people in this podcast specifically, but like we were mean to Marianne and like mean in a way that we weren't mean to like other people, which I mean, I don't know. And reading this, it it kind of is like, I don't know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be like that. Not necessarily to her, but like to people in general, just, I I feel nicer having read it. (laughs) You know, people like have spiritual needs and there are people that exist in culture that try to reach those spiritual needs. And it's sort of like, I don't know, we can't really ridicule people for like trying, you know? Totally. Um, I'm trying to think, who wrote Year of Magical Thinking? Oh, Joan Didion. Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion is one of the best books on grief I've ever read. I'm not like a huge Joan Didion fan. I, I know that's weird for like a white lady liberal living in California, but Year of Magical Thinking, I found to be great and very. It's very much about like spirituality. It's it's about grief specifically. But I also lo- I also thought Bell Hooks's On Love was a really good good book about stuff that like a lot of times gets marginalized in big conversations. Like, so yeah, I mean, there's like a ton of stuff out there that's been like written about spirituality or written about like the invisible that you know you don't necessarily glom onto every single concept, but like. There's stuff in there for people that's helpful. Totally. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's your sanity corner this week, Karen? What's keeping you sane? That's a great question. Um, I went off the rails a long time ago, so I thought this was an <laughs> I feel petty week. Uh, oh, you can not- feel petty if you want to. You can call an audible. That's fine. I'm not, oh, I'm not, a, I'm not a After podcast. all these like, nice things that we've offered, you can totally like do a petty one. Yeah, do it. So what am I pivoting to an I feel petty? Yeah, do it. Do it. I'll, I will allow it. You've been here for three years, Karen. Thank We've you been... so much. Thank you. Thank you. A little, a, a bit of grace. It. A bit of grace. In the... Thank you. Wow. Wow. Look at that. I, I was going to say, I feel like we're, I'm reemerging or my, you know, people I know are reemerging now, like Priyanka, you were saying like double vaxxed and there's this, and now there's like this question that you're finding where people are like, oh my God, how are you? And my answer is bad. I'm bad, bad you know? <laughs> Bad. The answer is bad. Where were you? There was a global pandemic for for 18 months that is ongoing. Okay. We've all been locked in our homes. Like I kicked out my roommate on March 1st of 2020 because I wanted to host more dinner parties. It's like, it's been bad. Do you under like it's been bad. It's been bad. But you can't, you don't want to walk around being like, so I don't know why people are asking. My thing would be like, number one. Maybe don't ask. Start with a different sentence or phrase. Like, let's brainstorm together a different sentence or phrase that could be a conversation opener. But in the event that somebody is like, oh, my God, how are you? And your answer, like mine, is bad. Not great. It's bad. Um, I feel like this is our Kanye West moment. I feel like this is your moment to be a celebrity. And you can just be like, "Um, I'm not taking any questions at this time. 
I'm so sorry, but no questions at this time. No photos, no questions. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No questions, no photos. Your voice can drop an octave. Do you know what I mean? Let's just, like, <laughs> let's just put like a, I'm so sorry. No, it's like, it, it's like a celebrity coming out of rehab. You know, I'm just not taking questions right now. Thank you so much. Um, and Wait, what would you replace the question with? Like, like, let's say the first time you and I meet in real life, which we should anywhere, anyway in the near future because we don't Which would be lovely. Far. Which would be lovely. Yes. Um, we could go on a walk. We could do – we could sit there and wave at each other from down the sidewalk. But but what should – okay, we, we meet up. I don't say how are you. What should I say? Kieran, those shoes look fantastic. Great. Okay. That's – You know – how about a how about some sort of you could make some sort of a comment on like just start from a different just let's start from a different place like anything start from what someone's wearing or the traffic is back in Los Angeles that's something we can commiserate over you mm-hmm. know you could talk about the other people that you've seen right? right like oh i've had an opportunity to see this person and this person you know yeah and maybe think about the the global highlights of the thing mm-hmm. you know yeah I think like, yeah, I think that I have like, I have like this kind of brain bank of demented icebreakers that I could maybe just pull out like, which, which billionaire should we eat first? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you were, if you were to be a ghost, you could haunt, they could attach yourself to one person to haunt forever. Who would you haunt? Um, I want to know your answers to all of these. Like I, this like, is why we would. This is why we'd be friends, and we can meet up. This is. These are exactly the reasons. These are great questions, and these no, are better than anything I was coming like, up with. Demented icebreakers. I mean, get right no, into I, it. The ghost thing is great. Um, oh, okay. Bill Gates is single. Would you <laughs> swipe? Which way would you swipe on Tinder? I am. Uh, I'm a. I'm a straight woman. I've never, you know, thought of my sexuality as anything but straight. Uh, and I would pick Melinda. <laughs> Melinda's so much sexier sure. than Bill. So, so much which more way would you, alluring. Who would you swipe on, and which way would it go? I would swipe in the yes direction. It's right. I would swipe right for Melinda and left for Bill. I love the way you just answered so earnestly. It was like this was a question for the. Few, this was a question for when we meet up. Well, th- I, I might change my answer then. I'll think, I'll think about it. I'll think I about swipe it. right I'll, on both and like shoot your shot. Like just see what happens. Oh, Priyanka, <laughs> drama. Yeah, um. that the, the 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 what did you say? The I am a queen. How did she put it? The queen of drama. I'm a queen, queen of, of drama. drama. I'm a I am a queen of drama. Oh, I've been kiss. awakened. Chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ladies. That is all the time we have for our conversation today. Um, Keep banking your demented icebreaker questions. I encourage everybody to bank. I feel like this could be like a game, like a, like oh, a yeah. card thing. It's such a good one. I would actually love to hear hysteria listeners like reply to your the pod demented in the ice. You know what? what and this what might- what are ways? What are ways to open? What are what are ways post pandemic to open a conversation with people you haven't seen? That won't lead them to saying bad. Mm-hmm. The answer is bad. I've been bad. Right. You know. What's a random act of hostility that you think about doing a lot? I mm. I think about like letting the air out of like a giant SUV's tires. I think mm-hmm. about that. I see like a huge SUV taking up a compact car parking lot. I my brain is like I should let the air out of its tires. Never done it, <laughs> but I every single time I'm gonna let the air out of its tires. Um, yeah. So anyway, demented icebreakers are a great, great Random practice. Random acts of hostility. Yes. 
Uh, Priyanka and Karen, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you to Alyssa Mastromonaco for being my ride or die. Thank you to Senator Maisie Hirono for joining, I think, the Four Pete Guest Club. She's been on here four times, which is like incredible. And thanks uh, to you, the listeners. If you like what you're hearing, please rate us and tell your friends and uh, have a great week. There will be more hysteria for you next Thursday. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Narmel Konian and Magic Root. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware.